would come to church on a sunny night and, and for the most part spend their day in church and uh, around God's people, around God's word. I pray, Lord, you help me, give me the words to say. Lord, as we uh, look at this passage and study your Bible, we love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well, we're there in Judges chapter number 7, and we're continuing our study of the life of Gideon as we've been going through the book of Judges. And you know, I've really enjoyed uh, uh, studying and preaching through the book of Judges. I hope you have uh, enjoyed going through it with us on Sunday nights and been learning a lot from it. And of course, we talked about Gideon for the first time last week. Gideon is the first judge in, in the book of Judges that we spend a good amount of time with. You know, the other judges were kind of short stories, but Gideon, we're going to go with his life for a few chapters here. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon? Remember, he was named Jerubbaal because he threw down the altar of Baal, and the name Jerubbaal there means the one that Baal has a contention with, or the one that Baal has an issue with. And that's a good name to have. And he was, uh, his name Jerubbaal. And it's good to know that because as you go through the story of the book of Judges, sometimes Gideon is only referred to as Jerubbaal. So it's good to know that that was his name also. Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, now you got to remember, he's already assembled his army of, we know, 32,000 soldiers. The Bible says, And all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. In the uh, valley, Look at verse 2. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. Now you got to understand, and, and we're kind of still in the introduction of the, of the sermon, but let me point out a few things from, from verse 2. Normally, you and I would think, you know, we don't have enough people to be able to do the work of God. But you know, it's interesting that God sees it differently. In verse 2 he says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. So you and I think, we don't have enough people in our church, and we don't have, and look, I'm all for church growth, and I want the church to grow, I want to add more people, I want you to grow spiritually, and I want to do all that. But let me tell you something, God is not limited by how few we are, God is not limited by how weak we are, sometimes, if anything, God is limited by how great we are, or at least how great we are in our own minds. We had a big old church, and we think, well, we can do it on our own. No, we need God. And God says here, He says, He says, you got 32,000 soldiers. He says, that's too many. Now, you got to remember that 32,000 soldiers is not a lot compared to the amount of people that are gonna, they're going to go against. Skip down to verse 12 real quickly, just to refresh your memory. We saw it in verse 6 as, as well. But in verse 12 of the same chapter, it says, And the Midianites... That's one people group. And the Amalekites, that's another people group. And all the children of the East, I don't know, that's at least one other. That could be another uh, few groups of people. You got there at least three different nations they're going to war against. Look what it says. Lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number. So not only are there soldiers without camels, because usually in this type of uh, era, you would have more foot soldiers than you would have soldiers on a beast or on an animal like a camel or a horse. But the Bible says their camels, they had so many soldiers on camels, you couldn't even count them. They were without number as the sand by the seaside for the multitude. This was a huge army. And Gideon has 32,000 men. I mean, who knows how much they're outnumbered by? It could be 10 to 1. And yet God says, 
the people that are with thee are too many. It's interesting, God sees things differently than you and I see. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Verse 2 there says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me, to give the Midianites into their hand. I want you to see something that's interesting. Going with that thought that God sees things differently than you and I think it, see it. God says, here's why you've got too many guys. He says, he says lest Israel, the word lesser is the same word as like unless. He says, unless Israel vaunt, that word vaunt means to brag or boast. It means to show up. He says, unless Israel shows off or brags or boasts of themselves against me, saying, this is what God says. He says, this is what I don't want them to say. Mine own hand have saved me. Do you see that? God says, and by the way, you got to understand this. In Gideon, in military, God says, I don't want you to save my own hand and save me. But guess what? In every area of life, God is interested in the fact. I mean, the, 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 the theme of the book of Judges is this. Man is weak. Man is, uh, is in need of God. But you know what? The theme of the entire Bible is man is weak. Man is in need of God. But you know, that goes contrary to the way you and I think. You and I think, I don't need anything. Let me tell you something. If these people would have gone to war with the mindset that my own hand has saved me, they would have died because thinking that your own hand can save you will actually cause you to go into judgment. God can't help you when you're trusting yourself. And by the way, let's apply that to salvation. Many good and religious people are going to die and go to hell because their mindset is, my own hand has saved me. Because they think, well, I'm going to earn salvation based on my good work. And I'm going to earn salvation because I live a good life. And I'm going to earn salvation because I've never done this and I've never done that. And I've been a pretty good person. And, I, and I'm a good neighbor and I'm a hard worker and I do this. Hey, if you think you're going to get yourself to heaven by your own hand, you're going to die and go to hell. The theme of the Bible is this, you need God. And the more we remind ourselves that we need God, and God doesn't need us, the better off we'll be. But I want you to see three, three, three points, three different uh, characters, I guess, or three different things in this passage. Number one, I'd like you to see Gideon's followers. I'd like you to see Gideon's followers, the men that were following Gideon. It's very interesting. God has a few things to say about these men. I think we can learn a few lessons. If you look at verse 3, the Bible says, now keep in mind, God just said, there are too many. 32,000 is too many. Verse 3, now therefore... He says, because of the fact that you got too many, he says, now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, notice what he said. He said, this is what God said, I want you to say to the people. Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. God said, I come, I'm telling you, Gideon, to go to these 32,000 soldiers of yours and give them permission. If they're afraid, if they are fearful, tell them they can go home. It's okay. Now you got to understand, they were severely outnumbered. I mean, it, w- it would be totally normal to realize that most of these guys are going to be afraid. But you know, it's interesting, we're going to come back to Judges. Go to Deuteronomy 20. I just want to show you this because we need to be thorough in our Bible study. But the interesting thing is that what God told Gideon to do is something that God had already commanded the children of Israel to always do before they went to any war. They were supposed to do this. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 20. Look at verse number 1. It's funny how God abides by His own laws. You know what I mean? 
God tells him to do something, then when God is letting Gideon, Gideon says, God says to Gideon, and by the way, do what I told you to do in Deuteronomy chapter 20. You say, what did God tell him to do in Deuteronomy chapter 20? Look at Deuteronomy 20, look at verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, this is, this is uh, Moses speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the children of Israel. He says, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, he says, be not afraid of them, he said, don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He said, don't be afraid. God's with you. Don't be afraid. Verse 2, And it shall be, when you are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. So God said, I want you to tell, I want the priest to tell the people, right before it's a battle, this is what I want them to say. Verse 3, And shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not, and do not tremble, neither be terrified because of it. I mean, how many times, how many different ways does God have to say, don't be scared? He says, don't be afraid. He said, don't faint. He said, fear not. He said, don't tremble. Why? Verse 4, for the Lord your God is He that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. He said, don't be afraid. God's with you. Don't tremble. God's with you. Fear not. God's with you. Don't, don't, don't be afraid of them. Verse 5, and the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house, and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house. So God has given them opportunities here. He said, if you built a new house and you haven't even gotten, been able to dedicate it or go into it, he said, go ahead, go home. We don't, because we don't want you to die in battle. Look what he said. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. So he said, if you just bought a house, you didn't have to go to war. You just built a house, you didn't have to go to war. Because God would say, I want you to enjoy your house. Verse 6. And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? He said, you planted a vineyard and you're, you're waiting for the harvest to come in? He said, let him also go and return unto his house. Lest he die in the battle and another man eat it. He says, he says, we don't want you to be thinking about your vineyard. Go take care of your vineyard you planted and, and, and don't worry about the battle. Verse 7. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife? And have, and, and have not taken her. So someone uh, got engaged, they got married, but they haven't got married yet or consummated the marriage there. He says, let him go and return in, unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. Look at verse 8. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and shall say, what man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Now look, he just, the, he just got done telling like four different times, don't be afraid, don't tremble, fear not, trust in God. But then he says, if you're afraid... Look at the middle part of verse 8. Let him go and return unto his house. He said, why? Let his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. See, God says, if you're afraid, I don't want you in the battle with me. Because fear spreads. And if I'm afraid in battle, I'm going to make other people be afraid in battle. God says, I'd rather send the scared guy home and not have him with us than have a bunch of scared guys with us. And by the way, the other, the other lesson there, God, God said, you, you think, God, God's real nice. He said, you built a house, you can go back. You just got married, you can go back. You built a vineyard. No, God is saying, we, you know who else we don't want in battle? People that are distracted. He said, if you're thinking of your sweetheart back home, I don't want you to battle with me. I don't want you, I don't want you having my back if you're thinking about, oh, how's the harvest going back home? He said, if you're distracted, go home. He said, if you're afraid, go home. This is what they were supposed to do before they went into battle. Now here's the interesting thing. Go, go, go back to Judges chapter 7. Look at verse 3. Now therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying... So this is what Gideon's supposed to do. He said, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, 
let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. Now, now, so, so Gideon goes to the 32,000 men. He says, listen, if you're afraid, go home. God said if you're afraid, go home. And what happened? Look at the last part of verse 3. And there returned to the people 22,000 and there remained 10,000. That must have been discouraging, you know what I mean? Gideon goes to people and says, Hey, if God says, God says you're afraid, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 men said, See you later, Gideon. <laughs> Good luck, Gideon. We are severely outnumbered, Gideon. I mean, these guys are scared. But let me tell you something. If they're scared, God didn't want them around. You, guys, you, you understand why most Christians will do very little in their life? You want to know why most people will never knock on a door and preach the gospel to a stranger and get some? You know why the average Christian will never see another person saved? One word. Fear. You know why the average Christian says, I don't know about this whole tithing thing. Is it really going to work? It's one word. Fear. The re- you know why most Christians are afraid to just completely sell out to God? Just say, you know what? I'm gonna, like we talked about this morning, I'm going to give myself as a sacrifice to God. I'm just going to give myself completely to God. I'm just going to read the Bible. Anything the Bible says, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, as, 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 as the best of my ability, I'm going to give myself to God. You know why most Christians will never do that? Because they are afraid. It's the truth. God, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. The Bible says that fear is not from God. The Bible says we should not fear. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But these people were afraid. And by the way, that's the number one reason most people... See, you got to understand this. We learned something about the followers of Gideon. They have to... If you're going to follow God, if you're going to fight the battle, you have to be willing to fight the battle. But if you're afraid, you're not willing. So you know what God says? I'd rather you just go home. Now really, we'd rather you just not be afraid. We'd rather you just trust in God. We'd rather you just get a little boldness. But Gideon says, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 guys decide, that's my cue. And they head out. The Bible says, look at the last part of verse 3, there remain 10,000. So, so Gideon's army goes from 32,000 to 10,000. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, uh, the people are yet too many. Now you got to think, what is Gideon thinking? Like, God, are you serious? 22,000 guys just left. And we're still too many? And God says, bring them down into the water. And I will try them. That word try means to put to a test. He says, I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people. I want you to listen to this. This is interesting. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Notice what God says. Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knee to drink, God, God says, I'm gonna, he said, your 10,000 men you got left over after all the scaredy kites went home, he said, there, there are too many still. 
God says, take them down to the river. He says, I'm going to try them. I'm going to test them. And the ones I tell you to say. And this is a test that God said. He says, if they, if they laugh of the water with their tongue like a dog does, he said, put them on one side. And if they get down on their knees and put their face in the water and drink the water, put them on one side. Now look at verse 6. Look what happens. And the number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. I'm sure Gideon hoped it would have gone the other way. You know what I mean? I'm sure Gideon's like, oh man, good night. <laughs> now let me tell you something. I grew, I grew up in church. I've been church my whole life. I've, I've, heard, I've heard preaching about Gideon my whole life. I've listened to a lot of preaching and different preachers. I've read a lot. I've studied a lot. And I'm here to tell you, I have no clue what this test is about. <laughs> I don't know why God tells these people to do this, you know, and I'm sure there's, there's different um, uh, theories out there, and the best theory that I've ever heard, and I guess it would make sense, is that God wanted, you know, these, if you got on your knees and put your face down into the water, you're not really in a position to defend yourself, as opposed to someone that would put their water, their hand down in the water and bring it up to their mouth, then they can still see if someone's coming up behind you. Okay? That makes sense to me, and I don't have an issue with that. The Bible doesn't really tell us that that's the reason. But you know, the interesting thing, here's what I, here's what I learned from this, is that God, you know, some people can't serve God because they're afraid. Because they're not willing to. But you know, some people, and this is the most um, heart-wrenching, I guess, you would say, or definitely for in a church setting, is that some people are willing to serve God. Some people, you would say, hey, do you want to go soul winning? They say, yeah, well, I'm not afraid. I'll go. Do you want to do this? Yeah, I'm not scared. I'll go. Some people are These 10,000 soldiers were willing. But here's the interesting thing. They still were disqualified from serving God because of some sort of lapse in their character. They were willing to serve God, but God said, I can't serve you because of... You say, well, that's a minor thing. How you drink water? Hey, the little things matter. And God, God looked out at his people and he said, I know they're not scared. He said, I know they're willing. But, but there's some sort of a flaw in their character. There's just something they do. And the way they do it, I just don't like it. I'm not going to be able to use that person. Let me tell you something. You say, well, I'm willing to be used to God. God may not be able to use you because of the certain little things you do. The little sins. The little foxes. Some people are willing to be used to God. But you know what? Just flat out, they're too lazy to be used to God. Some people are willing to be used of God, but you know, they just can't schedule their life to be able to serve God. Some people are willing to serve God, but they're not able to because they just, they, because they're just different reasons. Just they can't control their appetites, they can't control their flesh, they can't control their sin life, they can't control their tongue, can't control your temper, whatever it is. There are sometimes you may be willing to say, well, I'm willing to serve God. I know guys, man, they could preach anyone, they could, they, they know, they, they could preach and they'd be great orators and this that, but... They don't have the character to be a pastor. They don't have the character to be used of God. See, it's not just enough to be willing to be used of God. God says there's more than just being willing. He says, he says there's little things that I'm going to watch for. You say, how, how do you decide, you know, how do you decide who becomes a leader? You don't decide who becomes a leader. Leaders decide who becomes leader. By the way they act. The Bible says about David that the, the way he presented himself among the people, they just knew. As he came in and out, they just knew. That's a leader. That's a, that's a man of character. You know, the way they drank water disqualified them. You'd be surprised. God is constantly watching what you do. 
And God says, I know they're willing, but unfortunately I'm not going to be able to use them. Gideon's army is down to 300 men. Gideon's army is not, be, is not really growing. His church is not growing. He's got a couple church splits. You know what I mean? And if you look at verse number... Actually, go back to verse number one. Let me show you something real quick. We said number one, we saw Gideon's followers, but I want you to see this. Number two, I'd like you to see Gideon's leadership. Okay, so we saw Gideon's followers, and we saw what disqualified them. What does disqualify them? Fear. What disqualifies them? Lacks in their character. Things that God doesn't like about the way they do certain things. And you say, well, that's a small thing. To God, nothing's small. But then I want you to see Gideon's leadership. We saw the followers, let's see the leaders. And I, you know, if I could, I'd skip this, but it's, it's in the text, so I can't skip it. But, but I want you to see verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him. I want you to notice this. And you ought, to, you ought to underline this every time you see it in your Bible, because you'd be surprised how many times you see this in your Bible. The Bible says, He rose up early. Do you see that? Let me tell you something. Every, almost every great leader in the Bible, God makes sure to throw in that they rose up early. It, it, it's, it's astounding when you really study it out in Scripture. Let me just give you a few examples. You can keep your finger there in, in, in Judges, but go to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter number 21. Look at verse 14. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 14. The Bible says, Genesis 21, 14, And Abraham, was Abraham, would we, would we consider Abraham a great leader in the Bible? I think we would. And Abraham, look what it says, rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Look at verse number, uh, Genesis, look, look at the next chapter, chapter 22, look at verse 3. Again about Abraham. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took to two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood of the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Go to Genesis chapter number 28. Genesis chapter number 28, look at verse 18. Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. You have here Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who the Bible calls a, a, a prince. The Bible calls a, a, refers to him as a mighty man. He's, he's, he's Israel. Genesis 28, 18, the Bible says, And Jacob, look what it says, rose up early in the morning. And took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Go to uh, Exodus. Exodus chapter number 8. Exodus chapter number 8. Would you consider Moses a great leader in, in Bible history? Amen. Exodus chapter number 8. Look at verse number 20. Exodus chapter number 8. Verse number 20. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Look what God says to Moses, Rise up early in the morning. To God, what do you have to say to me? He says, Get up. <laughs> Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and saith to them, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Go to Exodus chapter number 9, look at verse 13. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that I may serve, that they may serve me. God, you know, God's like, Moses, we got things to do. You need to get up early. 
Moses, I, I got something for you to do. You need to get up. No time for sleeping in, Moses. Go to Exodus chapter 24. Look at verse 4. Exodus chapter 24, verse 4. Exodus chapter 24, verse 4. The Bible says, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And Exodus 24, verse 4. I want you to see it. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And rose up early in the morning. Do you see that? Go to Exodus chapter 34. Look at verse 4. Exodus chapter number 34. And verse number 4. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning. Go to Joshua chapter number 6. Joshua chapter number 6. Another one of the great leaders of the children of Israel brought the children into the promised land successfully. Joshua. And what does the Bible say about this great leader Joshua? Joshua chapter number 6. Look at verse number 12. Joshua chapter 6 verse 12. And Joshua rose early in the morning. Go to Joshua chapter number 7. Look at verse number 16. Joshua chapter 7 verse number 16. So Joshua rose up early in the morning. Go to Joshua chapter number 8. Look at verse number 10. Joshua chapter number 8 and verse number 10. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. Go, go to Mark chapter number one. Mark chapter number one in the New Testament. Mark, you say, Abraham rose up early. You say, Jacob rose up early. You say, uh, uh, Moses rose up early. You say, Joshua rose up early. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he got up early too. Mark chapter number one. Look at verse number uh, uh, 35. Mark chapter number one. And verse number 35, the Bible says, and in the morning, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, rising up. This is what it says about Jesus. Rising up a great while before day. He went out and departed into the solitary place and there prayed. Wow, that's amazing. Jesus Christ got up early in the morning to spend time with himself praying. (laughs) He's God. Go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter number 7. The Bible says Abraham got up early. The Bible says Jacob got up early. The Bible says Gideon got up early. The Bible says Moses got up early. The Bible says Joshua got up early. The Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ got up early. The Bible says God the Father got up early. I mean, we know Jesus is God, but the Bible says the Lord gets up early. He said the Lord, the Lord doesn't sleep. Yeah, he, he's up early. You say, what are you getting up, Lord? He says, when you're up, I'll be up. Go to Jeremiah chapter number 7. Look at verse 13. Jeremiah chapter number 7, look at verse, verse 13. The Bible says, and now, because you have done all these works, this is God speaking, saith the Lord. You see that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah God. He says, now, because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early, and speaking, but ye heard not. God says, I got up early, and I have something to say to you. But you slept in. You didn't hear it. Amen. And I called you, but ye answered not. He said, where are you at? He said, all I heard is snoring. Look at verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets. God said, I sent my servant. I sent my prophets daily. Doing what? Rising up early. And sending them. I'm just trying to tell you. You can go back to Judges chapter 7. It seems to me like if you want to be a successful leader in the Bible. You say, I want to grow up to be a leader. I want to be successful. Uh, you got, you, if you're going to be a leader, you got to get up early. You just got to figure out how to get up early. Look, I don't want to preach this. I, I struggle getting up early. And look, there's nothing wrong with sleeping in. You know, on your day off, I'll be sleeping in tomorrow. <laughs> but you know, the problem is that we've developed character of men around uh, our society that just love sleep. The Bible says, love, not sleep. I'm here to tell you, you say, I want to grow a great business. You're not going to do it if you don't get up early. I want to have a great ministry. You're not going to do it if you don't get up early. I want to have a lot of Bible knowledge. You're not going to do it if you don't get up early. I want to be a great prayer warrior. You're not going to do it unless you get up early. 
It is statistically proven poor people in America sleep more than wealthy people. It's true. I'm poor because of the circumstances in life. You're poor because you're lazy. You're poor because you sleep too much. You're poor because you don't know how to figure out how to get up early in the morning. I'm just going to tell you, you want to be successful? You want to be a kid? I want to be a kid. Hey, I want to be a kid. I better learn how to get up early. Leadership lessons for Gideon, number one, get up early. The Bible says he rose up early. Rose up early in the morning. And it wasn't just a one-time event with Gideon. Gideon did it a few times. Let me show you. Go, go to, uh, we're, we're, we're there in Judges chapter 7. But look at, look at Judges chapter number 6. Look at verse 38. Judges chapter 6. Again, about Gideon. Judges chapter number 6. Remember he asked God to do that fleece, to do with the fleece. Remember all that? Verse 38. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you, if you want to be successful in life, you better learn how to get up early. It's the truth. I mean, the Bible, it's not just the Bible saying this. Go, go grab a business book on how to be successful. You know what they're going to tell you? Get up early. Schedule your time right. It's what the Bible says. Gideon was a great leader, but one lesson we can learn about Gideon is that he got up early. Number two about Gideon. Not only did he get up early, but he relied on God for strength. He relied on God for strength. Look at uh, Judges chapter number 7. Look at verse 12. Judges chapter number 7, uh, verse number 12. Judges chapter number 7 and verse number 12. I'm sorry, not verse 12, verse 9. And it came to pass the same night. This is the same night that they're supposed to go off to war. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, look what he says, Get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Now notice what God says to Gideon. But if thou fear to go down, go thou to Fura, go, go down with Fura, thy servant, down to the host. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? God is telling Gideon, he said, you got to go fight this battle. He says, but if you're afraid, now you got to say this, I don't think Gideon was afraid at the beginning of the chapter. Because remember, Gideon said, hey, if you're afraid, go home. And he didn't go home. So I don't think he was afraid. But I think after he saw... 22,000, you know, uh, 27,000, or whatever it was, 29,000 soldiers leave. When he saw the first 22,000 go, and he saw the arrest go, and he's looking at an army of 300 men, he looks over at the Amalekites, he can't even count the camels. I think he's getting a little scared. Now look, fear is not of God, but let me tell you something, from time to time, time, to time you and I will have fear. It's not of God, and we shouldn't have it, but we will have it. Say, well, what do you do? Let God strengthen you. Look what it says. And look, just to prove to you that Gideon was scared, look at verse 10. God says to him, But if thou fear to go down, go thou with fear of thy servant. So God says, If you're afraid, then go with fear. Okay? So if he's not afraid, then he should go by himself. But if he's afraid, he should go with fear of the servant down to the host. Look at verse 11. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward, so thy hand be strengthened to go down to the host. So God said, I'm going to strengthen you. He said, I know you're scared right now. I'm going to strengthen you. He says, if you're scared, go with fear. Look at, look at the middle part of verse 11. Then went he down with fear. Do you see that? God says, if you're afraid, go with, go, go with your buddy. And then the next verse tells us he went with his buddy. Why? Because he was scared. But God said, I'm going to send you down there to strengthen you, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. 
And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camel were without number, as the sand of the sea side for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told the dream. So Gideon comes down to the camp. You, you gotta say, he's at the camp of the enemy. He gets close. He hears two guys talking about a dream he had. He said, and he told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed the dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it. And it fell and overturned. And the tent lay along. So the guy said, he said, Hey, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that a piece of bread, a, a, a cake of barley came into the tent. And it hit a tent and it completely just collapsed the tent. Look at 14. And his fellow answered and said, his buddy said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon. Now let me ask you a question. How did they know who Gideon was? It's funny because, you know, we get all scared about the battle. We get all afraid. Gideon's all afraid. I got 300 men. I don't know what I'm going to do, God. God says, if you're scared, come with fury. The fury come with me because I'm scared. God had already won the battle. They, they knew Gideon was going to win before the battle. They knew Gideon's name. They said, hey, yeah, that's, that's the sword of Gideon. The sword of Gideon, the son, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, for his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Now that's a miracle. They said, Shh. I mean, they shouldn't even know who Gideon is. They knew his name. They said, yeah, yeah, we're in love. Why? Because God won the battle. Good. And it was so, verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise. For the Lord had delivered into your hands the host of Midian. I want you to see this. We're looking at, at leadership required or leadership lessons from Gideon here. We saw number one that he rose up early. We saw number two that though he was afraid, he relied on God for strength. God strengthened him. Number three, I want you to see this. A good leader equips his men. Gideon equipped his men. Look at verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. I want you to see this. And he, talking about Gideon, put a trumpet in every man's hand. You see, I like that. He didn't say, here guys, divide up these trumpets. The Bible says he took 300 trumpets and he went to every man and he gave every man exactly what they needed. He equipped his followers. He said, and, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand. You see that word every? That means all of them. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers, the lamps with the pitchers. So here's what's interesting. Here's a lesson on leadership. A leader equips his followers, but you know, sometimes a leader will give his followers not what they want, but what they need. Now I don't know about you, but if I'm getting ready to go to war, and I got 300 men with me, and Gideon says, hey guys, let's get together, I gotta distribute a few things for you. And the guy hands me a trumpet. I'm asking, where's the sword, Gideon? Where's the shield, Gideon? I'm not in band, Gideon. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, they're saying, this isn't what I want. But Gideon said, I know it's not what you want, but it's what you need. Sometimes people come to the very best church. That's not the preaching I want, but it's the preaching you need. That's not what, what I thought I was going to get, but it's what God says you need. See, they needed a trumpet more than they needed a sword. But see, we would think, oh, they need a sword. They don't need a trumpet. He equips his men. He gives them what they need. Now, sometimes what you need may not be what you want. Sometimes what you need may not be what you think you need. 17, leadership lessons from Gideon. Not only did he rise up early. Not only did he allow God to strengthen him. 
not only did he equip his men, even with the things that we would say is not what they want, but he also set the example. Look at verse 17. And he said unto them, look what he says, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. This is what a good leader does. A good leader says, hey, look on me. He said, look on me and do likewise. He said, look at me and do what I do. And by the way, if you're a leader, if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're a boss, if you're whatever you are, whatever leadership position, maybe if we saw some guys here that, Lord willing, they will be future pastors in, 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 in years if they can get some girls saved, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to be a future leader, hey, you, you better... <laughs> you better set the example. See, you know why most kids grow up to not serve God? Because mom says, do what I say, not what I do. Because daddy says, do what I say, not what I do. Gideon says, look at me and do what I do. He didn't say, go to church. He said, go to church with me. He didn't say, read your Bible. He said, watch me. He said, here, get his head to the back. He said, I want you to get up early. And if you want to listen on getting up early, just watch how I get up early. He said, I want you to get along with God. You want to listen on getting along with God? Just watch how I get along with God. He said, are you afraid? Guess what? I was afraid. God strengthened me. Let Him strengthen you. He said, hey, look on me and do likewise. That's what a good leader does. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Now you got to understand. Some of you will say, we shouldn't follow men. Let, let me tell you something. We ought not follow men, but we should follow men when they're following God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 1. The Apostle Paul said, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We ought not follow men. Listen, if, if you, you should have followed Paul because he was following Christ. And if you were Gideon's army, you should have been following Gideon because he was following God. You say, should we be following men? You better make sure whatever man you're following is following God. But nothing wrong with following a man. Nothing wrong with a good leader saying, Hey, do what I do. Do likewise. Amen. Somebody told me one time, about a pastor. He said, oh, that outreach stuff, that soul length stuff, that, that's, that's, that's not for pastors. That's for you. you <laughs> Listen, that is not good leadership. A good, uh, a good leader is going to say, you ought to go soul winning. He says, you ought to go soul winning with me. Amen. You ought to follow me as I follow Christ. You, say, hey, you think we ought to follow you? Hey, you should only follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. I stop following Christ, stop following me. You say, I don't like you, Pastor Ben, then go find a leader that's, finding, that's following Christ, but follow someone that's following Christ. You, you say, I want to be a leader, then you follow Christ, and you set the example, and don't be a hypocrite and do. Gideon said, hey, look on me. Most leaders today want to be secretive and say, you know, don't, don't ask me questions, don't ask about my life. Hey, Gideon said, I, I'm an open book. He said, look at my life. He said, look at what I do, and do likewise. That's a good leader. He set the example. Not only that, look at verse 18. And when I, this is what Gideon says, And when I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpet also on every side of the camp, and say, now notice what Gideon tells them to say, they are to say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. See, that's another proof that there's nothing wrong with following men. Now look, the sword of the Lord first and of Gideon. Now here's what's interesting. Compare that with verse 14. Remember verse 14? Gideon went down to the camp. Remember those, the, 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 the dream there that the enemy had? Look at verse 14. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon. You see that? Okay, so Gideon goes down to the camp, listens to the enemy telling a story, and they, the enemy did not mention the Lord. 
They mentioned, this is the sword of Gideon. Now it would have been easy for Gideon to get a big head and say, they're afraid of me. They're afraid of my sword. But you know what a good leader does? He always puts God first. It would have been easy for him to say, hey, listen, guys, listen, I went down there, I heard them. They talked about some pieces of cake coming down and hitting a tent, and the guy said, it's the sword of Gideon. So when we get down there, you guys just yell real loud, the sword of Gideon, because they're afraid of me. But he said, no, when we get down there, you make sure you let them know it's not Gideon, it's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. A good leader always puts God first. A good father will put God first before his children. A good mother will put God first before his children. Hey, put God first. You say, I want to be a leader. Gideon says, John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. You got to put God first. That's what a good leader does. We saw number one, Gideon's followers. We saw number two, Gideon's leadership. I want you to see, in closing tonight... Gideon's strategy. You gotta understand, they're fighting a war here. And whenever you have a war, you have a plan, you have a strategy, you have a plan of attack. And the Bible says that Gideon explains the strategy to his man, his 300 men. Look at verse 19. So Gideon and the 100 men that were with him, because remember, he divided them into three, three companies. Three, 100 men with one, 100 men with the other, 100 men with the other. So Gideon and the 100 men that were with him, came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. So this is probably like midnight. You'd have like a morning watch and a uh, maybe evening watch so the, in, the, in the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. Now notice what they did. They blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpet and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hand to blow withal, and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This was their strategy. This was their plan. And by the way, this was it. Because look at verse 21. What did they do after they blew the trumpet? What did they do after they broke the pitcher? What did they do after they said the sword of the Lord and Gideon? What did they do? They just stood there. Look at verse 21. And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp. That was it. Here's the plan. Gideon says, okay, we're going to go up to war, guys. All right, what's the plan? What are we going to do? We're going to separate. We're going to put 10 guys over here. We're going to put 10 guys. We're going to ambush them. You're going to, no, 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 no. Gideon says, no, no, no. We're not doing anything. What are we doing, Gideon? We're going to walk over there. We're going to surround them. We're going to blow a trumpet. We're going to break a pitcher. We're going to shine a light. We're going to scream, The sword of the Lord of Gideon. What are we doing next, Gideon? Nothing. You're just standing there. Gideon, are you crazy? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, Gideon. But see, it, it, it's interesting. And, and you know, it's funny because we, we kind of saw this on Wednesday night in the book of Hosea. It's, it's always funny to me when sermons overlap. You know what I mean? Only God can do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. But go, go let me show you something. Go to Isaiah 58. Remember when we were in Hosea, we, we saw about Hosea saying, telling them to blow the trumpet. Remember we talked about the fact that a trumpet represents something. In Isaiah 58, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Cry aloud. This is God speaking to a preacher. He says, Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a what? Trumpet. See, when you see a trumpet in the Bible... That's why Hosea said, he said, put the trumpet to thy lips. Because when you see a trumpet in the Bible, it always represents this. Setting off an alarm. 
It always represents this, waking people up. It always represents this, letting people know that there's danger. It always represents it. And by the way, that's what preaching is. That's why God told Isaiah, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of, Israel, of Jacob their sin. God tells Isaiah, He says, lift up your... your, your. Why do you pray? Why do you yell? Because God told us to yell. That's why. He says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. And that trumpet represents preaching. So you say, well, what is that picture? What picture do we get there from judges when, when, when they blew that trumpet? You say, because what are we supposed to do? You and I. We're in God's army, aren't we? We're fighting against the Midianites, aren't we? And the Amalekites and the heathen of this world. Hey, that's what the whole the series on Sunday mornings about, spiritual warfare. So well, how do we fight that battle? Here's how you fight that battle. You blow a trumpet. Here's how you fight that battle. You cry aloud. You spare not. You lift up your voice like a trumpet. You go and preach them. That's what that trumpet represents. He said, said, we're going to get together. We're going to go around a a, a circle. And we're going to preach to those guys. And we're going to alarm them about the fact that God's going to fight this battle. Not only did they blow a trumpet, which I believe represents preaching, but they also broke a picture that allowed a light to shine through. Go to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse number 15. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15, the Bible says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And he gave light unto all that are in the house. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now you got to understand this, okay? The light represents our testimony to this world. God says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now here's, today, today there are those that are, are proponents of what's called lifestyle evangelism. There are people who say, say, we don't believe in this confrontational evangelism, this confrontational soul winner. They would look at our church and say, you people go out there and knock on doors and bother people. We don't believe in that. We believe in lifestyle evangelism. You say, what's lifestyle evangelism? Lifestyle evangelism is where you just live a good life, you know. You're a good neighbor. You're out there mowing your lawn. You're out there taking, you know, doing whatever. And people just watch your life. They just watch you every day and they say, and they see you being such a good Christian. And then I guess they're supposed to magically just, just fall on their knees and, and ask you, you know, what must I do to be saved? I'm, just, I'm so convicted by just the godliness of your life. Let me tell you something. You can be the most honest, the nicest, the most well-dressed person in the world, and you are not going to get people saved by your lifestyle. You're going to get people saved by blowing a trumpet. You're going to get people saved by opening your mouth. You're going to sa- get people saved by knocking on someone's door and saying, Hey, I'm here to alarm you about the judgment of God coming. Let me tell you about... No, no, here's what you got to understand, okay? It's not just the light shining. He had to blow the trumpet. It's not just the godly light. They had to open their mouth. They had to shout, the sword of the Lord and get it. But at the same time, it's not just the trumpet. They did have to shine the light. We got a whole lot of Baptists that think, well, I'm going to go out, I'm going to preach the gospel, but I'm going to live like the devil. Hey, if you want to bear fruit, you got to get purged. I think we talked about that earlier. You say, I want to sound the trumpet. You better shine the light. I want to shine the light. You better sound that trumpet. You need both. Say, how do you fight the battles? Here's how you do it. You sound the trumpet, you shine the light, 
and then you just stand back and let God do the work. So we got to pick up a sword? No, we don't got to do anything. You just got to shine your light and sound your trumpet, let people know about Jesus Christ. See, it's not just enough to let people see your life. You got to open. Keep your finger there in Matthew. Go, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Keep your finger there in Matthew. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6. Well, I don't think that we should go out. I'm just going to live a good life. I'm just going to be a good neighbor. I'm just going to go out there and mow my lawn. And then people are going to, you know, I don't have time to mow my lawn because I'm out there preaching the gospel. <laughs> go, to, go to Ephesians chapter number 6. Look at verse 19. Look what the Apostle Paul said. Ephesians six nineteen. And for me, that utterance, that's talking about words, may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Do you see that? To make known the mystery of the gospel. God says, Paul says, it's not just enough to shine your light. Life's all man. You're not going to get anybody. He said, live the life. Because here's the thing. If you sound the trumpet, but don't shine the light, guess what? You're a hypocrite. He said, live the life, but make sure you sound the trumpet. He said, live the life, but open your mouth boldly. To make known the mystery of the gospel. Now keep your finger in Ephesians 6, okay? Go back to Matthew. Keep your finger in Ephesians 6. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. We're almost done. I want you to show you something interesting. I just learned this recently. I thought it was very interesting. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine. Now here, look, look at verse 15. Remember? Because here's, here's the interesting thing, okay? The children of Israel, the 300 soldiers, I should say, have a light, but they have it inside of a picture, so no one can see their light. And they're approaching the enemy, and they can't see the light. They have to break the picture. You say, why did God have them break that picture? So the light would shine. See, you and I sometimes can hide our light. That's why God said, uh, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. You say, well, I'm, you know, I, I, I just don't like people. Don't. Look, you ought not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You say, my, my light doesn't shine. Maybe you ought to break a picture. But notice what he says, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men. Now, here's what's interesting. Let your light so shine before men, comma, that they may see your good works, comma, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, you see those two, those two commas there? That, that phrase there, that they may see your good works, is a parenthetical statement. What that means is that that, that statement, and don't misunderstand me, the King James Bible is perfect, but if that statement wasn't there, that verse would still read properly. It's like an outside thought interjected into that sentence. So the Bible says, let your light so shine before men... And that they may see your good works. So we think, let your light so shine before men, and when my light shines before men, they'll see my good works, and then they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's lifestyle evangelism. But that's actually not even what the verse says. Because the verse says, let your light so shine before men, parenthetical statement, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You say, I ought to shine my light so men can see it. You shine your light all you want. The world's not going to notice it. You say, why do I shine my, my light? To glorify my Father which is in heaven. He said, let your light so shine before men. He said, now they see your good works, praise the Lord for it, but the reason is to glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, you got to understand this. How do we fight the battle? We shine our light, but we also blow the trumpet. Go back to Judges chapter 7. Keep your finger on Ephesians 6. We're going to look at Judges 7, Ephesians 6, and we'll be done. Okay? Judges 7, Ephesians 6. Cake and ice cream. Alright, we're doing good. Judges chapter 7, look at verse 21. Here's what they did. Well, actually, yeah. They, they yelled, the sword of the Lord, and I'm getting, verse 21. And they stood 
every man in his place. This is what Gideon said. Shine your light, blow the trumpet, and stand. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Did you keep your place there? Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 13. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 13. The Bible says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. We're going to be studying this on Sunday mornings about the spiritual battle. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, look what God says, to stand. He says, Having done all to stand, here's what I want you to do. Stand, therefore, having your loins go about with truth, and having all the breastplate of righteousness. Gideon said, You shine your light, you blow the trumpet, then you're done. You just stand there. Bible tells us here, you put on the whole armor of God, then what do we do, God? You just stand there. You know, it's funny to me, when we come back at the, at the battle of Armageddon with God, with the, with the white, you know, the white horses and the 10,000 saints and all that battle, you know, it's funny, we come ready to fight, but you know who does all the fighting? Jesus Christ. He opens His mouth and He completely annihilates them with the word of His mouth. You, what do you and I do? We get all battled up, we get our helmets, we get our armor, we get our sword, we get them, what do we do? We stand. So how do we fight the battle? You shine your light, you blow your trumpet, you've done all you're supposed to do, you just stand. Then what happens? Go back to Judges chapter 7. We're done right here. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpet. And the Lord, notice what it says, the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. They just stood there and watched them kill themselves. They just stood there and watched them annihilate themselves. Even though, even through all the hosts, and the hosts fled to Beth Shittim and Zerata and to the border of Abel Mihola unto Teba. Pastor Jimenez, I think we need to spend a whole lot of money and go, for, you know, we got to go get involved in all these political campaigns and we got to go do this and we got to go do that and we got to go feed the homeless. No, look, all we got to do is shine the light, blow the trumpet, we'll just stand there and let the world kill themselves. Let them take, let them kill themselves. Let God fight the battle. All we got to do is preach the gospel. Now look, I'm all for helping the homeless and helping people and, and all. There's nothing wrong with that. But we got to remember that our number one goal is to blow that trumpet and shine that light. And then let God do the rest. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the book of Judges. Thank you for the life of, jo- uh, of uh, Gideon. Lord, and I pray you'd help us to learn from it and the story here as we attempt to apply it to our lives as New Testament believers. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a church that would be willing and ready to blow the trumpet. But not just hypocritically blowing a trumpet, but that we would also live the life. That we would shine that light. That people would look at us and realize that we're real, we're true. Obviously, we come short and obviously we make mistakes. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to just be able to be faithful and true. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.